Welcome to another edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. This edition of After Dark or Early in the Morning, depending on, I guess, what time what time of the day it is. And it is early in the morning, about 3.31, and I'm getting a little punchy. Uh, it's even later than the first time we recorded this podcast. <laughs> okay. You don't need to expose my editing and audio flaws to our readers. Millennials. Uh, you're the millennial here. Anyway, yeah, we have a new guy here in our in our truck. It's recording. Uh, we have a new guy in our truck. Uh, his name... What's your name again? Mike DeFabo. Mike DeFabo. He works for... I know he enjoys this. Who do, you, who do you work for again? Okay, so it takes like an hour and a half to explain it. I work for CNHI, which is a chain of 13 papers here in Indiana. I could start naming all of the papers, but then that would just take up all of your time. Oh, we got plenty of time. Right. We've, we've wasted enough of it, but we have plenty of time. No anyway. Until, there's no new game until noon on Saturday, so however we want to fill that time. Uh, we do have to get to East Lansing before that. That's true. Uh, so anyway, uh, Mike asked to, to join the, the truck podcast uh, this morning, and we obliged. So he's going to offer his hot takes, and yeah. we're going to go around the truck and uh, start off with some hot takes. And I'll start since I'm holding the the equipment. Uh, I, I, my hot take is that Purdue is now a serious player in the Big Ten West. You know, I think coming into today, I don't think people viewed them as a legitimate team, even though they were one of four with one loss. But I think after tonight, uh, they have to be in the conversation, even if you know they're going to lose probably a, a few more games down the road. Now, other teams are going to lose, but I think the way Purdue played tonight, what they showed. Uh, puts them right smack in the middle with everybody else, uh, with Iowa, Northwestern, and Wisconsin, uh, that they legitimately can make a run for this West title and potentially win the thing. You know, my hot take would be that uh, Purdue deserved to be 0-3, and they deserved to um, beat the crap out of Ohio State tonight. And uh, they were clearly the better team. They had the best player on the field. Um, I think they outcoached Ohio State tonight in in various facets of this game. Uh, they had the better prepared team for this game, the better executed um, schemes and, and plans for this game. And so I don't think those are contradictory statements. This team, um, sometimes football is a funny game or all, all sports can be this way. And, and Purdue has um, all the things that we thought that and, and doubted whether or not they were going to find within themselves this year they've they've answered that and more and and to be four and three at this point is is one of the best coaching jobs and one of the best just mid-season turnarounds that is in college sports this year college football okay backseat guy all right here we go hot take time uh my hot take is that not only was purdue the better team today but they were the tougher team today uh you know ohio state came in here and they basically tried to intimidate purdue to start the game uh, during warm-ups, they ran right past where Purdue was gathered, got in their face, and basically said, hey, we're Ohio State, we're here to beat you. Uh, and, you know, then what happened was Purdue responded. They didn't back down. They handled that challenge of facing a Big Ten blue blood. They looked them in the eye, and then they got ahead of them. And what I saw was an Ohio State team that didn't have the toughness to stand up to Purdue. Purdue has been calloused by that 0-3 start. They've been calloused by nine wins over the previous four years before Jeff Brom got here. I mean, they're used to having to battle and fight for wins, and Ohio State is not used to doing that type of thing, and it showed today. 
you know, we're going to start on the defensive side because I thought that was the most impressive unit out there uh, today. I mean, they through you know the first half, they're only getting the field goal, high State, and then it's not till it's 28 to six that Ohio State gets in the end zone. I mean, the Ohio State got in the red zone four times in the first half, or four times going into the third quarter and came away with two field goals and the way the defense played uh tonight uh you you this is not the same defense that opened the season against northwestern it's not the same defense that had some struggles against eastern michigan it wasn't the same defense that played against missouri this team this defense is now on the attack like the offense and i thought that really showed tonight and i i didn't think this defense could come close to reaching what last year's group did but i think they're well on their way to maybe surpassing uh what the what jeff brahm's first defense and nick holt's defense did last year go back to the first half of this season the first half of the first game of the season against northwestern which is now turns out is really just kind of a very adequate team in in the in the greater scheme of things and this very young purdue defense looked very wide-eyed and did did not look like it belonged on the same field as the Wildcats at times there in that first half. And look at where they've come from there to now. And I know it's seven games, two months. That's really not that long for the level of maturity and the growth that you've seen from this team, especially the front seven, I think, you know, um, and, and the presence that they had tonight. Yeah, no, Ohio State threw for a lot of yards, and part of that is just for the sheer number of attempts. It was a 73 attempts tonight. But the, they really had no success at any point uh, running the ball. And even though this is a team that likes to throw the ball, uh, Purdue definitely took one half of that equation away. And as much success as Ohio State was having at times, even on third and long, some of that was, I think, a little numerically skewed. It, it came back to the, the to you know, the, the numbers eventually shook out in the long run um and and i give a a lot of credit obviously to to nick holt but obviously also to to jeff braun because i really think some of the changes he made just in terms of the aggressiveness he was playing with you know have have fed onto this whole team and and the defense is is playing off of the offense's energy and the offense's assertiveness a little bit Really, the, the, the key I thought today was just the aggressiveness of the defense especially. I mean, so Purdue faced a, a passing type of quarterback that similarly is ranked as one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Drew Locke in Missouri, and the Boilermakers decided to try to play coverage. They dropped guys. They had just three guys rushing at times, which uh, people were very critical of Nick Holt for playing that style and I mean it was worth a, a chance because the fact is Drew Locke is such a good quarterback that not a whole lot of things have worked against him but it didn't work for Purdue that day and the Boilermakers decided that's not who they are they are not a team that drops into coverage they're a team that plays aggressive and brings pressure and that's exactly what you saw today I, I was talking to Marcus Bailey after the game and he said the Boilermakers have about 30 blitzes different types of blitzes and uh, they used he said more than 10 of them not that they you know, different types of blitzes, bringing corners, bringing safeties, bringing linebackers off the edge, bringing linebackers up the middle, and all of it worked, I thought. I thought that they were able to get to the quarterback quickly, force him to make split-second decisions, and really rattle him. They only had a couple sacks, but they hit him numerous times, got in his head, and made him look like a quarterback that has only played in eight games versus a quarterback that many people believe could be the first quarterback off the board in the uh, 2019 NFL draft. 
We also said, for those who listened to the podcast last week as we were rolling down I-74 in the mobile edition of Boilers Extra, um, <laughs> we, we talked about how Purdue had, had come to the point where he was you know able to go out and make you know a lot of tackles in space, open field tackles, one-on-one plays where a defender had to beat an offensive guy and take him down at the point of attack, and how important that was going to be going forward. And tonight, other than maybe one or two outlier plays... Purdue wasn't blowing tackles. Purdue was going head-to-head with Ohio State and either, you know, getting through a block or just taking a guy down pretty quickly at, at the point of contention. Um, not to say Ohio State didn't have some big gains in there, but but the, the the strides Purdue has made just being able to go toe-to-toe, especially with a team as talented as Ohio State, and, and hold its own defensively is um, somewhat remarkable almost. I think the one thing that, that that we all have to consider, and you know, we watched the Missouri game, and we all said at the time that what they were doing just was going to get them beat. But I'm not sure this defense would have been capable of doing the different kinds of blitzes right. and all those blitzes in week three as opposed to being in week seven. True. And you know, I think that's probably an important point that I don't. The coaching staff probably did not feel comfortable unleashing that on them at that point. Uh, thinking that they could cover and, uh, and 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 keep things under control, but now they've grown, they've grown up, they've matured, they are getting to the quarterback a lot more, either with their front four or through those blitzes, and they're also doing a better job in the secondary. And that transitions me to I know Marcus Bailey had a great game tonight, 15 tackles. It was a huge game for him. Columbus, Ohio, navited the pick six, capped a perfect evening for him to kind of. Tell Ohio State, yep, you should offer me a scholarship. But I, I really thought Antonio Blackman was the player of the game on defense in the, in the right moments, in the crucial moments, with uh, three pass breakups, two on third down, one where Ohio State kicked a field goal, the other one that he missed, and then he came up with a big fourth down play uh, on, a, on, a, on a bubble screen that I think Ohio State was in desperation mode trying to, to score a touchdown. But I thought Blackman, and I've criticized the cornerbacks, uh, you know, I don't. They haven't been really good in coverage this year, and this was going to be a big test for them uh, to step up against big guys that they tried to guard against Missouri and had and struggled against, but now uh, really, really, really stepped up. Uh, you know, and Kenneth Majors was having a really good game before he went out with an injury, and even Tim Kaysan came in and, and held his own uh, more than he has in the past, but. Uh, you know, I think the cornerback position really took a, a big step tonight, and uh, you know that's something that you know still has to improve as they as they get going farther in the season. But I thought it was a huge step for them. Well, I mean, yeah, we make a big deal about you know, Marcus Bailey not being offered a scholarship by Ohio State. How about Antonio Blackman didn't have a scholarship from anybody? He didn't have a scholarship from Purdue when he came here, um, and and. It's, he's emblematic of a lot of guys on this roster who were kind of afterthoughts. Um, they were filler, <laughs> more or less. They were, you know, they were helping on special teams, but they were never considered somebody who was going to be able to go in and make plays when Purdue could beat teams at the top of the Big Ten. And you could say that about other guys who are contributing to this team. Now you can maybe even say that about someone like DJ Knox. You in theory could say it about even someone like David Blau when you saw him as a sophomore do you think that that was a guy who was gonna you know be doing some of the things he's doing right now I think there was reason to be skeptical and 
I, I think you're right. You know, Blackman tonight, multiple times uh, when when Ohio State was moving the ball downfield, but once it got to the 10-yard line, I think I wrote something like, you know, there was sort of one of those velvet ropes he just kind of strung up and and was not letting anybody through. I mean, he broke up a couple of uh, third or fourth down passes in the end zone, um, a couple others that were just, you know, in, in the red zone and, and came on crucial downs, um, just repeatedly breaking up passes, defending passes, and uh, was a, was a, a force tonight. I mean, he, he goes down as a, an essential part of this, one of the biggest upsets in an era. I mean, the other thing, too, is the cornerbacks in the secondary in general they were on islands often because when you're blitzing as much as, as Purdue was blitzing, uh, that means that you're playing a lot of man coverage or uh, Purdue was also playing even like cover zero, which means you're playing man coverage with no safety over the top. A couple of those, at least one of the Antonio Blackman plays, I believe, was it was cover zero. So they're, they're proving they can play a variety of coverages, which they could not do at times last year even. Last, time, last year... I know that Nick Holt is more of a cover three zone type of guy, but Purdue didn't have the type of guys they trusted to match up uh, head-to-head, and Purdue was able to look guys in the eye that were five-star recruits and guys that are going to be in the NFL one day uh, and just basically man up against them and and come away with uh, really what was one of the more impressive defensive performance considering the opponent. Yeah, I didn't think at this stage of the season Antonio Blackman, Tim Kaysan would be playing. I thought the freshman they brought in, uh, the true freshman they brought in, would have worked their way into roles. And I think ultimately it's kind of like the what happened with the receivers last year. You brought in Zico, you brought in Wright, and you didn't think Jackson Anthrop would play the way that he played last year. And you were just waiting for these newcomers to emerge and do and do something, and they never and they never did. And the true freshman coming in, you know, there's probably a little bit lower expectations as opposed to junior college guys. But I, I, I thought, I thought some of these true freshmen would be integrated into the secondary by now, but they're not. But that's a credit to to Blackman and the emergence of uh, Kenneth, Kenneth Major and also Kason being able to play, uh, you know, uh, the role that he he's playing right now. Now offensively, you know, they put up 49 points, actually 42 if you. If you take away the pick six, or did you guys want to talk about Marcus real quick on his, his night? Yeah, that's good. Uh, be, yes, on Marcus. Uh, I'll talk about Marcus. You want you like Marcus? Well, we all like Marcus. Yeah, everyone likes Marcus. But anyway, Marcus had 15 tackles, big night, pick six uh, uh, to to kind of end it uh, for him. It was a big week for him, but um, you know he just he kind of came into his own tonight. He, he should be Big Ten. Defensive Player of the Week when we oh, yeah. when we get the awards on, on Monday, but it, it was kind of you know it was a big step for him not only playing Ohio State his hometown team but just to be on that stage and kind of showcase what he's all about against that kind of talent mm-hmm. really had really should give him a lot of confidence but also elevate his stock uh, in the eyes of uh, of a lot of scouts out there. It was out there on the hands team and recovered right. the onside kick too. Right. That, yeah, yeah. The, the only thing I want to add to that is you know we asked him earlier in the week what does this game mean to you? And he was saying, oh, you know, I don't want to make it more than what it is. Yeah, I'm from that area. But uh, And then apparently he basically, after we asked him all those questions, he went 
and during after the big team lift, he brought everybody together and said, you know what, I've been asked all these questions this week and I answered them this way, but the truth is it does mean something to me. I, I feel snubbed by o Ohio State. Uh, I was a Columbus kid and they didn't even offer me a scholarship. You know, you at least you would think that they would throw the local kid a bone and say, yeah, you can come here. Uh, and they didn't, and he basically shoved it down their throat today. So a little bit of redemption for Marcus Bailey. Yeah, he's he's a good good guy and uh, uh, helps us do our jobs a lot better. And right. uh, you know, but good for him. He he stepped up, had a great game offensively. You know, Rondell Moore uh, is going to steal the headlines again. But you know, the the runs by DJ Knox, especially in the fourth quarter. As you know, when Ohio State's scoring, Purdue feels like it needs to get another score. And I, you know, I really thought that the way Jeff Rom called his plays tonight, and when they were coming up in blitzes, he knew that middle of the field was open. That if you got the right blocks on the offensive line, that that DJ could get in the open, and he did twice on two long runs that really made Ohio State's defense look silly. And you know, they're they're a flawed defense. Yeah. Uh, they're athletic. They have a lot of that, but they they are just really flawed. And in Purdue, while it's it's a really good offensive team, they're not an elite offensive team. Wait till they find some, play somebody with an elite offense with elite players, right. and they're going to be in trouble if, unless they get it figured out. I don't know if that's just the loss of Bosa, or there's something else going on there, not around their team as much as we're around Purdue, but. One thing with their defense is they play their linebackers so close to the line of scrimmage. So early on in the game, what you saw was them stuffing a whole bunch of runs. But if you can crack uh, that first level, there really aren't a whole lot of guys behind them. You know, linebackers who would, would normally make the tackles at four yards are not there. They're at the line of scrimmage. Uh, so that's, I think, what really set the stage for the big runs was just that kind of schematic decision by uh, Greg Schiano. I think I would also push back a little bit on how elite Purdue's offense is or isn't. I mean, it's not elite in terms of name or in terms of reputation, but there aren't a lot of quarterbacks out there uh, executing right now at, at David Blau's level. There aren't a lot of players, period, doing the things that Rondell Moore does on a football field. And, and really what DJ Knox did today, um, and it was slow early on, but really – and I kind of commented on that. They weren't even attempting a lot of passes or rushes early on, and they weren't going anywhere when they did. But Purdue's really effectively set up the run with the pass now for a few weeks, and I thought that happened again today. Um, they, they really kind of wore away at Ohio State, and that's what led to some of those big gashes that they had late in the game. Uh, DJ, DJ Knox is, is playing at a different level than he's played at previously. Some of that might be the health that he's finally able to achieve late in his career, but also just running kind of angry and confident and, and stomping on people a little bit these last couple of weeks. And he's not a big bruising guy, but he's been playing with kind of a big bruising attitude. Um, this is a this is an elite offense in terms of the, the way it's clicking right now, the level it's executing at. Pushback noted. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a number at you right here. Okay. And this came this came to me yesterday as I was just messing around with stuff. Prior to today, Purdue had played its last its last nine games against ranked teams. In each of those nine games, they had failed to reach 100 yards rushing, and they only won one of those games, and that was Boston College. Tonight, I think they had well over 100 yards because DJ had I think 163. Is that right? Something like that. Something on his own, yeah. On his own. So, but that was just something that stuck out to me that they, when they were playing ranked teams, they couldn't generate a rushing game. 
Therefore, they were probably losing the, uh, losing those games, which they were. The last time they rushed for 100 yards against a ranked team was 2015 at Iowa. They lost that game 40-20. Uh, to 20. So the importance of a run game, even though Jeff Brom throws it all over the field, and we like when he throws it all over the field, uh, but the, a run game is essential to, to his offense. And when I say elite, I'm talking more about players than actual system. Right. Uh, but... Uh, yes, I mean, but the question I had about Purdue's offense as they got into the second half of the season, because they played a bunch of defenses that were ranked, when you looked at total defense, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 100s, and really had their way against them. Now they're getting into a stretch where Ohio State was a top 60 defense based on the numbers. Michigan State's going to be a top 40 defense based on the numbers. Uh, I was going to be a top 30 defense, probably higher than that based on the numbers. Even Minnesota and Wisconsin and Indiana. So tonight was a was a big step in my mind for this offense to take because last year when they faced the Michigans and the Wisconsins of the world, they struggled to score points. They struggled. Uh, I think Michigan they had 189 total yards in that game, and Wisconsin they only got three field goals. So if this sets the stage for the offense, what they can do against the the better defenses by the numbers in the Big Ten, you know I think they're still going to put up some points here in the second half of the year. If I had put up a Twitter poll or if I just asked you before the game, which of these coaches afterwards would be sitting in a room with reporters badgering him about why his running game was so inept and why it set the stage for the butt kicking he took that night? How many people would have thought that that was Urban Meyer ask, answering those questions instead of Jeff Brom? But go watch the the press conference. It's, it's only six minutes long, but it seems like it lasts about two or three times longer than that because it is a morose scene in there um, because that's not a team and a program and a coach that's used to having its uh, lunch handed to it like that. And, um, you know, early on in this game, I thought Ohio State – was winning some of these upfront battles, but as the game wore on, I thought Purdue rose to the occasion, and I think Purdue's offensive line should get some credit for the way that it's been playing. It's it's one of those. It's the part of the offense right now that still is the least elite, probably in some ways. To if we're and who knows what that word absolutely means, I guess we could ask but, DJ Flat. Right. <laughs> we could ask, but but it's it's it's. Um, uh, they, they really did their job. I'm thinking of that play, um, that sort of slip screen to the tight end that went for 15 yards um, on one of the Purdue scoring drives going into the south end zone. And I, I just the off- the way the offensive line gave David Blau enough time for that play to develop, the way that he hung in there and made that pass, you know, those are the, the little things. They're not going to go out there and steamroll anybody, but they're doing their job right now at a, at a pretty impressive level. I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to play calling because against last year against Michigan and against Wisconsin, at that time, Jeff Brom didn't really have faith in his receivers to go win one-on-one matchups. He didn't really have, you know, he was still trying to figure out which quarterback he even liked at that point. Uh, But at this point, the offense is humming enough that he has faith uh, that he could set up the run with the passes Nathan kind of alluded to. And I thought it was just kind of a situation where Purdue was constantly keeping... Uh, Ohio State on their heels. You know, once Purdue did start getting Rondell more involved, uh, the Buckeyes were searching for answers, and they had to keep a safety over top, so that opened up some of the running game. Um, so I thought it was just a, a good kind of lesson in complementary football of figuring out, knowing your team well, and knowing we're not going to be able to be the traditional Big Ten team that runs the football between the tackles and then 
works play action off of that. Let's do the opposite. Let's throw the ball around and then because of that open up some holes in the running game. I mean, Ron Nelton Moore had another fantastic night. His his long touchdown run, he missed or he, he made Ohio State people miss 10 times. I don't know. That's not the number, but he bounced off several defenders, got himself into the end zone, and uh, the kid just keeps doing something special, and this is just his seventh game. And, you know, Jeff, it, they were intent on getting him the ball tonight because they needed to get him the ball because he's kind of the one guy that can – make guys miss the one guy that when he gets an open space can take it to the house and even though Zico won that one-on-one matchup that we watch every day in practice uh between the receivers and the and the defensive backs with Jamarcus Shepard screaming at everybody uh but Zico won that one-on-one battle on that touchdown tonight and all those things they tried against Nebraska trying to win those one-on-one matchups that didn't work then the one that you needed to work tonight did because it got you off to a good start but you know Rondell Moore you know once this program adds another Rondell Moore That's scary where does this offense go well and and we talked about in the big picture what a win like this means for Purdue but in order for Purdue to really elevate from on a national level to get the kind of esteem it wants to get the kind of attention it wants to get the kind of real recruiting momentum it wants it, a lot of times it takes a face of the program where it takes a, a skill an offensive skill position guy like Rondell Moore who you know you watch on social media tonight and you've got NFL guys saying oh man this guy's the real deal this guy is legit this guy is because um, they know that he's going to be up there with them before too long they can tell when they watch these you can you know it when you see it we knew it when we saw it when Ryan Kerrigan was out eating Ohio State for lunch um, a, a few years ago um, in the way that he just dominated that game. And I, the comparison I made was I thought Ronda Moore was doing kind of an offensive version of that tonight, just being kind of a man among boys. I, I said before, I thought he was the best football player on the field, and that's saying something when you're playing a team that attracts the kind of talent that Ohio State does almost by accident. They just have you know a blue chip guys flowing in there all the time and 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 Purdue went and found a guy that could supersede that and that maybe only happens once in a generation we'll see but um I I think you're right and there's there's indications that you know with the Brahms reputation and what they know how to do the talent they know how to go out and find now you start to put that together with a name with some real achievement in the Big Ten yeah if you go out and start finding the perimeter version of what Rondell Moore does as a slot guy holy cow turns into the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Oh, boom. Yeah, there you go. No, but I, I agree. I mean, it's 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 like right now you've got this one incredible weapon, and then I give a lot of credit to Isaac Zico for turning himself into a legitimate next probably number two guy, and I, I mean, I give a lot of credit to DJ Knox, but when you get somebody else of that caliber, I mean, right now all of the defense's attention today was how can we stop Rondell Moore and he still scores two two touchdowns and is still well over 100 receiving yards. You get another guy like that, now what do you do? You put those guys on opposite sides of the field or you put them on the same side of the field with Rondell Moore in the slot and the other guy outside. I mean, that's what's scary. And then all of a sudden, once you get that kind of ta- – I mean, once you get that kind of talent, then quarterbacks want to come here because, you know, they already do have a great reputation for quarterbacks. But now – you've got all these weapons and you feel like you can come in and just light things up. And, uh, I mean, I, I just see really a big thing for football programs 
is you get in this cycle where it's like we have bad recruits so we're not a good team and we're not a good team so we get bad recruits and it's just this ongoing downward spiral Purdue has found a way to snap out of that cycle and now built a tremendous amount of positive momentum and this is really I think going to be a springboard for the program going forward even more See, one other reason, sorry, just one other reason why Jeff Brown wants to go get big receivers is not just to be a big red zone target. It's to do the kind of downfield blocking that really opens up what a guy like Rondell Moore can do. Um, that, I mean, that all kind of it's something that gets overlooked a lot in football. But you saw some occasions of it tonight with some of the stuff that Jared Sparks and other guys were doing downfield. And I think it's going to be an even bigger factor in the future. Well, and you even saw you even saw Bryson Hopkins lined right. out as an outside receiver, which was a different kind of look than we've seen. So they're finding ways again to be creative and produce what they want without necessarily the pieces uh, that they have yet. Well, we talked a lot about the game, which we should have, but we also want to uh, kind of uh, talk about Tyler Trent, uh, the Purdue student who uh, has had, you know, just difficult struggles uh, with cancer, uh, bone cancer, uh, and he, he made it to the game tonight. Uh, he was in the suite on the fourth floor, got down on the, on the field at the end, was able to rush the field in whatever manner he could, but just being out there and being in that that experience uh, had to be uplifting for him. Um, you know, Tyler's situation is terminal, um, and his goal was to make it to this Ohio State game. Had a chance to to, to briefly visit with him at halftime down in the suite, and his, he was surrounded by family, friends, uh, Purdue people, just everyone coming in wanting to either take a picture with him, uh, wish you know, and just thank him for his fight. Thank him for his strength. Thank him for being passionate about what he is passionate about. And the whole scene to me, and I was only there probably for for five minutes, uh, was was more of a celebration than than anything else. Uh, people were upbeat. They were chatting. Um, you know, they were enjoying his company. He was enjoying their company. Uh, and Tyler was in the press conference tonight. Uh, he, he predicted that Purdue would win. No one's surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it would be 24-21, but I think uh, everyone will take 49-20 to 20 instead of that. But, you know, Tyler is a guy that's, you know, really uh, has been passionate about the athletic programs, worked for the Exponent for a while, and is someone that is really close to the football program uh, because of the work he, he's doing at the Cancer Center, but also just his enjoyment of being around athletics and um you know i think it was important to acknowledge that that he was there tonight and probably played a role in how this game turned out i mean he's he's someone who means something to the football program in part because of the people who are in the football program um david blau being you know chief among that i think you saw the emotion that he had when he came into the media room and kind of sought out Tyler, um, you know, before the interviews and stuff had started and, and said, told him how much he loved him and how much he'd been thinking about him. You know, some of the times these things get overblown. It, sometimes the media runs off with these things. Sometimes, you know, people make too much of an association here. But in this case, I really do think that Tyler and his presence and his story were, a f- were, yeah involved in this win today and I think it started early in the day you know it was 10 a.m ESPN does a a big feature on him the emotion of that I think was kind of bubbling through the whole day it was probably something that that gave 
the people out here that were tailgating in just miserable wind and cold before this game. Um, something to talk about, something to have some fellowship with, and and it just the way social media is now. Everybody who was watching that game, everybody who was at that game, could could follow along as you know Tyler made it to the game Tyler is is tweeting from the suite you know and and you could tell it legitimately meant something to the players I multiple players that I talked to without me bringing it up mentioned Tyler and how much it it had kind of inspired them tonight and um I you know what more could a person ask for than to to be a fan and 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 sometimes those associations and the emotions that we feel towards sports teams are um kind of misguided and ridiculous and we take it more seriously than we should but someone who cares who genuinely cares so much about Purdue sports to to be a part of this win in the way he was is is just such a special moment yeah I mean it's it's a great moment for a a kid that something so unfair has happened to him uh Carm wrote a story and kind of was really the person who discovered him about Tyler camping out for the game against Michigan and that was really what kind of and it was just hours after he had undergone chemotherapy at that time last year and since that time basically everyone has learned about Tyler's story well the kid that he was camping out with um I went and visited Tyler a couple weeks ago just to say hi and he comes rolling in and on his skateboard and he's like oh man I someone stole my skateboard and he's like oh man I just found out I have more math homework that, uh, than I realized and those are the types of things that uh, a kid who's supposed to be a sophomore in college are supposed to be worrying about you're supposed to be a kid and uh, it's just so tragic that you know Tyler has been dealt this hair this really difficult hand and has had to face all this adversity uh, and he's basically just confronted it with incredible strength and grace and I mean I don't think that I would have handled it nearly in the way that he has Uh, and so it was really it was it was a nice moment that you know that Tyler had had this kind of moment he got the he predicted the victory he came to the game and he got to see it happen yeah just a just a great great story talking to his uh, his parents in the in the press room uh, after the game, they I think they started today with, or Tyler started today with like 3,000, 3,500, maybe 4,000 Twitter followers. And then after the game day piece, it went up to 13,000. So the power of, of, of that program and the power of his story uh, really resonated with people where you were seeing on Twitter throughout the day, well, I'm, I'm a Boilermaker fan tonight because of Tyler and also that they're playing Ohio State. You know, I think people uh, you know people jumped on Purdue's bandwagon uh, today because of that and all that emotion all that support kind of bottled into one help help the team on the field uh, put that all together and come up you know this was probably one of the best days in Purdue athletics history when you factor in the game you factor in Tyler's situation and his story you know, I, there's probably better days out there that don't come to mind at four in the morning, to me. But this this has to rank right up there as far as days in, in for for Purdue athletics. I mean, this goes on the short list of most impressive. And when we, I, you know, maybe Ohio State was overrated. Maybe they're not as good as their ranking, and maybe you know the the next five games of this season will will bear that out. But you just shellacked. Um, you just d- 
destroyed the, the, the number two team in the nation by 29 points and did it in this emotional way and with the whole country watching, you know, national TV, ABC on a Saturday night under the lights, 60,000 people in that stadium, the biggest crowd they'd had in, in several years. Uh, no, I, I agree. I mean, this is – in the in this generation of Purdue football fans, um, this is going to – I mean, it's on the short list of the, the biggest wins that a lot of the people that are probably listening to this podcast have ever, ever experienced. Yeah, I mean – Do you have anything to say or not? <laughs> it's, I'm, I actually just fell asleep. It's 4 o'clock in the, mo- in, in the morning right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you combine – like like Nathan was saying, you combine the fact that all this emotion into the game. I think that the football is an emotional sport, and what you saw were a group of players that were playing for something uh, bigger than themselves, really, and it was it was impressive to see. But was this? It, it's also incomplete. Was this a a big win on the road to something more, either contending for that West championship or? It, um, exceeding last year's win total and really putting that 0-3 start behind them? Or do we look back on this as the peak? You know, do they stumble against Michigan State, which is not going to be an easy game? Um, Iowa's a really good team. Wisconsin's a good team. Uh, Indiana is not the pushover that I think Purdue fans hope that they are. Um, it, it, you know, the, nothing's guaranteed from this point out. So um, the, the, the true measure of this game isn't really decided. We won't know that till December maybe. That's right. It's, a, it's like the loss to Eastern Michigan. What kind of impact will that have when you when you add it up at the end? Right. Well, are they still are they going to be sitting at five, or did they get to six or even higher? And again, you're not going to you're going to know that impact until the to the very end. Uh, so well, that's the oh. that's the that's the tough thing too. Now is now Purdue plays Michigan State, which is a very good football program that just came off a. Uh, Two weeks ago, they beat Penn State, which was considered within the same kind of category as Ohio State before. So now it's like, you know, Purdue got lucky when they got put into the Big Ten West. Now Purdue gets to feel what it's like to be in the Big Ten East, where you go and you beat Ohio State in this big emotional game. Well, guess what? Now you've got Michigan State waiting for you. So let's see how you do against that one. So, I mean, uh, this is a, a victory that I'm sure that plenty of players are enjoying right now. Where else? Uh, but <laughs> soon, once... Uh, once they wake up tomorrow, they're going to have to pretty quickly uh, start thinking back to the the one game season that Jeff Brum always preaches and get ready for Michigan State. And you know, and I think as as cliche as it is, and as tiresome it is to hear, where we he I would like to hear maybe a few more big picture answers from him. Uh, I think tonight we got a few right. more than we normally get, but you know, and I think that's where his his philosophy works. It is a one game season. You lost to Eastern Michigan. It was still a one game season come out and played better against Missouri you didn't win but it was still a one game season and I think that's that's going to be approach and I think that's ingrained uh, in these players and in the in this in this team right now all right that's going to end this edition of uh, the Boulder extra podcast after dark we hours in the morning whatever you want to name it it's okay however you want to refer to it <laughs> you refer to it we we appreciate our special guest uh, Mike DeFabo yeah there you go you got it right I got I guess I've been mispronouncing his name for how many years i kind of like when you call me de fabio though add a little italian flair to it yeah like get, with the long hair with the guy with no shirt on the beach is yeah. that is that who you want to be well people probably think that i am that because they they just are hearing my voice they haven't seen me yet so yeah sure people they, can imagine that they can google you ah you're out there. That's true. We're all out there. I'm a millennial. Yeah, you're right. I feel like we should give a, a shout out to the rest of the Fable family who we mentioned the first time <laughs> around, and that that didn't 
it didn't take. So, you know, uh, Linda Fable, pretty, pretty much everybody that's out there listening, we appreciate your your view, your 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 audience. Basically, you guys just invited me in here because you know I have a big Italian family and that I would increase your views basically threefold single-handedly when my mom starts circulating this uh, throughout social media. I would just tell her to send food. Yeah, just send food, Mom. Just send food. All right, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Uh, Nathan and I will be back next week with a more in-depth uh, look at uh, where football's at right now, probably recap the Ohio State game a little bit, but then look ahead to what uh, what may happen at Michigan State coming up in the next week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you down the road. <laughs>